This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 650 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, Horse Report System, and Total Saddle Fit. On this month's USDF episode, we are going to be joined by Ruth Hogan Paulson to talk about freestyles. Then, Tony Sandoval is back for some fitness tips. And after that, Geraldine Gibson gives us some judges' tips. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Loxahatchee, Florida. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Well, hi, Phil. Happy, Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New Year, Year everyone. Everybody. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe it. We made it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I don't know about you. But I'm super excited this week. Just, I was like, wow, we get to get like back in routine. You know what I mean? It was, we had a great holiday. It was fun down here, but now it's like, okay, now it's getting real, which is fun. Yeah. I'm kind of, you know, getting back to the grind as it were, you know, this is, uh, this is time to really get into some training now. We are thinking about, you know, the show season that will be coming up in, you know, May, I guess, you know, March, we, we do lots of prep and then May we actually have to start showing. So, you know, if, if you've got plans, you've got to think kind of way out to be prepared for that, for that first show. Yeah. Because, uh, if you're not prepared for the first one and you maybe get prepared for sometime in <laughs> June or July and then it's all over. So yeah, it is, it is. Well, and I even show next week, so it's, it's yeah. really, it's really real. Um, you know, we've been getting ready and, and, um, it was one of the reasons I came to Florida a little bit early this year was really to be ready and prepped to, to show beginning of January. So yeah, we're getting, we're getting after it. So, um, you know, I've been trying, I tried to be, you know, work, work through Christmas and, and keep things as, as pretty routine as we could. So, um, but it, it's good. Things are starting to to ramp up here in Wellington. There's a horse show this weekend. And then the first global horse show is next week. So um, that's going to be fun to sort of get back out there and and, and knock the dust off the, my, my Grand Prix horse a little bit. It was, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, Phil, I think we have a great show for this week. I think it's going to start with goals and fitness. And if you're interested in freestyles this year, and uh, we've got great judges tips. So we're really excited about the show. Uh, so we're going to start and we're going to have a quick commercial break from Kentucky Performance Products and looking forward to the show. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. Have you heard of Saccharomyces boulardii? It's a yeast, a type of probiotic. Often referred to as S. boulardii, it benefits your horse's digestive tract in several different ways. One unique property of S. boulardii is that it supports the stimulation of something called brush broader membrane enzymes that are found in the intestinal lining. These enzymes help your horse digest starches and sugars in the small intestine. 
When the sugars and starches are more completely digested, fewer of them escape into the hindgut where they can ferment and cause imbalances that lead to colic, diarrhea, and laminitis. Saccharomyces boulardii is found in Nalox Advance, made by Kentucky Performance Products. Nalox Advance contains a blend of yeast, fermentation solubles, and stomach buffers. These ingredients work together to maintain your horse's digestive tract in peak condition. Nalox Advanced is recommended for horses of all ages and stages and is fed on a daily basis. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. Founded in 1973, the United States Dressage Federation has become the largest organization to represent a single Olympic equestrian discipline. At nearly 30,000 members strong, USDF is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org to learn more about USDF education, competition and award programs, and to shop our online store. Again, that's usdf.org, your online destination for dressage. Well, tonight we have FEI rider, trainer, Paralympic coach, and author of the Dressage Riders Journal, Ruth Holgan Polson on the line. Ruth, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for having me again. I always enjoy our discussions. I know. We have a great topic we've not talked to you about, and you do so many freestyles and design a lot of freestyles. So we wanted to to talk about that for anyone who you know wants to do a freestyle in 2022. So I'm just going to hand the mic to you and tell us, if I want to create a freestyle, how would we go about doing it? Well, there's certainly a number of ways, but I can tell you my way of what I do for my students and my clients and myself. A number of my students who I see every day, uh, which is easier to do a freestyle for somebody who you work with every every day. But then there's also, I'd say more than half of my freestyle clients are from way out of town, you know, Nevada or Washington, or I'm up north and they're down south. So I don't actually know them. Um, So I do have a couple of different processes myself. Um, Having said that, there's, there's a lot of folks who really want to explore the journey of making their own freestyle from start to finish. And certainly technology these days, is a lot better and a lot easier to access with with music editing programs online and things of this nature. And I encourage people to really participate in building their freestyle, whether they build it with me and I make their freestyle or they want to try it and do it on their own. And I think really, for me, the difference in what I suggest is what their long-term goals are for the freestyle. Um, if you're doing schooling shows or you've never written to music or you're, you're, you know, you're quite local and you're just getting your feet in the water, then really spending the time and playing with it and trying to do some of the work yourself is, is good. And it's also beneficial at the end when you want to upgrade because you actually know how much time and work it takes 
to put into making and writing a really good freestyle. Yeah, I just want to know, you know, what's the first step? You know, maybe I email you and I say, I'd like to put together a freestyle. We haven't worked together before, but, uh, you know, I assume that I should shoot some video of my horse. So so you have an idea of what's going on. But uh, you tell me, you you let me know. So the first questions and discussions we have on the phone are about what the goals are, what the time frame is. Uh, You'd be surprised. Uh, how many <laughs> freestyle emergencies there are. Okay. Um, <laughs> with, oh, I I didn't realize I needed to make a freestyle for the Young Rider Championships, and it's in three weeks. That's uh, pretty tough, tough to do. Yeah. Um, it takes months and months sometimes. So those are the first questions I ask are, what are your goals? What is the time frame? What is your budget? How much do you want to participate? And what I mean by participate is, especially for my my clients who are not everyday students, I don't know them. I've never seen their horse. I don't know how they ride. I don't know who they train with. Um, So I I need a feeling for, I don't know these horses. So the beauty of the freestyle is that you're supposed to enhance the qualities of your horse. And maybe hide a little bit the weaknesses of your horse. So if I don't know you or your horse, you and your trainer know your strengths and your weaknesses better than I do. So I do ask first for what their thoughts are about what kind of music they foresee for their horse. And I ask them to send me quick links to something they think is maybe the music they'd like to listen to. And that's also quite shocking sometimes to get back. Um, Right. Right. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. Often the music that you think is representative of your horse's trot is actually not trot music, or maybe you have such a vision of yourself and your horse, but only you see that. And really when you're competing in the freestyle, you've got to please the judges and the audience and yourself and the horse. So you've got four elements that needs to cohesively work together. I I think a lot of people, sometimes I literally listen to people's music and I can see the horses just, they don't like it. And I can understand, I can understand that because I actually personally don't like a lot of the violin sound. It it makes me anxious. <laughs> I just don't like it. And so I can kind of understand why a horse would be like, oh, I don't like that kind of music. So I actually <laughs> think that's important. <laughs> it's, important. it's really important because your music is supposed to accentuate the beauty, the harmony, and make it look like the horse is dancing to your music not running away from your music or shirking from your music or anxious from your music. And of course you have to please the judges if you're riding competitively. And, and having said that though, I do want to say that I encourage a lot of times my students and others who are not competing to also ride to music because I think it really can help rhythm, which is the first thing we're judged on every single time we do ride down the center line. We're judged on rhythm, relaxation, and harmony. And so if 
if you're not competing, but music can help you do those things, it's a wonderful training tool. So I encourage people to ride to music, even if they're not competing with freestyle, but back to competing, you've got to please the judges. If you're really serious at competitor, because you need the score, but you're only going to get that score if you love the music and your horse loves the music, which is why I also discourage my clients from practicing their music with their headphones on. Because first of all, if you have two headphones on, it's dangerous to be riding around the arena, not knowing where anybody else is or hearing a loose horse behind you. But also because the horse can really feel the rhythm. And I, I do some clinics, musical freestyle clinics and riding to music clinics that I call Riding with Soul. And we have, I, I have my assistant and she has my sound mixer and she's got thousands of pieces of music. And we can pick eight different trot pieces with the exact same tempo. But the one piece that comes to life is the piece that makes your skin tingle and the rider smiles and the horse looks up and they float across the arena and it's there. And they might not even have known that they wanted a piece of jazz, but that's what lifted them in that moment. Um, so it's always really amazing to me when you put the right piece of music on for a horse, that the horse and rider both feel it. And everything seems possible at that moment. Yeah, no, I think that that's so important. And I think everyone has to enjoy the process. And I think we, we've highlighted that as well. It's like, this is a process. And I think it's so important to not rush this process. Because like you said, sometimes you'll have someone call you and it's a freestyle emergency. But I would say you need at least six months, right? How, how long do you say yeah. that you need? Yeah. I feel like if I have if I have the time to focus on one piece, one rider, I, I would say a minimum of three months to put it together and then another three months of practicing, riding, schooling shows, big sound systems, little sound systems, and also to realize for people who have never ridden a freestyle, it's so much more than you could ever imagine. It's glorious and it's what I live to do, but you're never going to have the same freestyle twice. Your horse might spook in the corner or be behind your leg here, or you're ahead of your music or you're behind your music. And you have to love and know your music so well that you can seamlessly negotiate the arena to not have anybody notice that you were ahead or behind because you know your music so well. And so not only are you riding the technical side of the dressage test, which is how well you maintain the quality of your gait and your rhythm and your angle and the shoulder in, but it has to also match the music and the phrasing and the footfall. So you're doing 10 times more than riding through your second or third level or whatever level test you're riding, you're trying to present your horse technically correctly in a freestyle musical pattern that seems as if the music and the horse make the changes at the same time. So I'm wondering, uh, Ruth, if if you are also working on the choreography with, with riders, 
um, you know, what are some some tips or some some things that you think about while you're putting together choreography? So when I have a client that I don't know, I highly encourage them and their trainer to work together to build an uh, initial choreography themselves. Because like I said earlier, I don't know the horse. I don't know how handy it is or, you know, whether the walk needs to be going away from the judge because it tends to get lateral or you want to highlight it or the left pirouette is harder than the right. The rider knows this. The trainer knows this. Inevitably, what happens is that when we build a choreography or they build a choreography, we work on it together. But they've then shown me what they like to do, what they have fun doing, what they want to highlight and what they don't want to highlight. And then I might have ideas about where to place things or how to mix things or how to make a mirror image of this or that. But with my students or clients that I don't know, I really encourage them to do a lot of their own thought process for their choreography. Once I do that, then, well, the, the, the first thing that we actually do is get a video of the horse. So I can just get a feeling of who the horse is. I'm looking at it totally objectively. I don't know the personality. I usually love to have a video from a horse show because horses are never the same at home as they are at a horse show. Some get yeah. bigger, some get smaller. <laughs> I want to see where they're starting at at the horse show at the level that they've qualified to compete at a freestyle. It doesn't even have to be a test. It can be a warm-up. It can be whatever. But I want to see what that horse's presence and tension or lack of tension or laziness or too quick. I want to see what they are away from home. And once I do, I see that I do what I call a click track and I take about 10 or 20 samples of, you know, 25, 30 seconds a piece of different parts of their work. So I take a tempo of the footfall of the trot on the short side or the half pass or the medium trot or a leg yield. And I, I look for an average beat per minute or the tempo of that horse's gait at that moment. And of course, I'm going to be having my opinion like, well, this horse looks a little anxious. We need to slow it down. So I'm not going to make faster sounding music. I want to have more relaxed, more tempoed, more cadenced music for the anxious horse. Or if I have a horse that's a little lackluster and needs a little kick in the pants to keep up the tempo, then I might create the the tempo that's correct for the horse, but also the music in the background, the background music we call is going to have a little more energy, a little more spunk to it. And it's going to help keep the rider's energy up through the trot work. So I kind of get my feeling for what I would put to the horse. And then the rider and I both discuss and we go back and forth, not just on the phone, but we send I like this kind. I like this kind. What about this? Try riding to that. And we might go through 20 or 30 different pieces of whatever trot music or canter music until we find something 
that the rider loves, that the trainer loves, that the horse loves, and that I think that I can build a theme around. And that has to only start with one piece of music. It could be walk or trot or canter music, but you have to find that one piece that you love that then it's my job after that to build the rest of the freestyle around that feeling of that piece of music. Yeah, that makes total sense. And and again, I like how you said, you know, number one, show me a horse show video. I think that's really important. And then I really liked how you said, show me some choreography that you like. I think that's important to sort of play around mm-hmm. with that. Um, that was always something, you know, when I designed my freestyles, I'm, I'm not so great at that, uh, but my sister loves to do that. So my sister comes over and she will help me and we'll talk about it. And then we, we push it forward. And I think that that's a really good thing to say, like, maybe that's not what you want like to do. Maybe it is. Um, but this is a great time to sort of incorporate a lot of, you know, team members in a way, uh, because uh-huh. some people really like and think this way and some don't, uh, I'm one of those that actually doesn't. Um, <laughs> so I, I need some input right on, on that. And once I, <laughs> yeah. I, I I'm, I'm on the, I'm being I'm on honest. the same boat, I'm just like, tell yeah. me what, what I have to ride and I will ride it. But I, if yeah. you want me to come up with it on my own, I just, so I have a great example of that, um, and I'm, I'm sure she won't mind me using her name, but a wonderful colleague of mine, Suzanne Hamilton, came to me about a year ago and said, make me a freestyle. And I said, okay, but, you know, code is coming and we're super busy, so you're going to have to come up with your choreography. Uh, the eyes rolled back and Suzanne was like, no, I don't want to do it. <laughs> And she's a Grand Prix with a wonderful new Grand Prix horse. And I said, you, you can do it. Work with your trainer and just show me some things that you can do that are hard for other people and easy for you. Show me what you like to do. And they did. And they came up with some fabulous pieces that then we tweaked left and right, but we had her basic structure of what she came up with. And then, you know what, that freestyle was so much more personable to her Mm -hmm. and she was so committed to it. It's just been a delight. I mean, she's just, she's gone. Hey, crazy with that freestyle. It's wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Oh, in many places. So I feel like, I feel like there's a lot of riders who don't know how actually wonderful and passionate and rewarding it can be. So they're like, give me the pattern and I'll play the music. But you know, when we watch that, it looks like that. It looks like you're writing a pattern and there's music playing. But if you're invested in your freestyle choreography wise, music wise, it means a whole lot more to you. And it's going to be so much more joyful at the end, not just for yourself, but for everybody watching. Yeah. No, I love it. And I think it's true. I mean, I think, especially if you don't have a lot of experience with it sometimes, or it's a newer horse and you're not really sure, I think it's intimidating and and you're like, Oh, I have to get this done. And yeah, it's going to, you know, so I think like you said, sometimes just go with your trainer and play with some stuff and it will become something that's really, really cool. And you're able to sort of dance with that. I also have a question though. Sometimes I have people that are sort of dead set on a certain piece of music and you're like one, one, and, and same thing. I don't think she'll care if I won't use her name, but she's a very, very light, elegant horse. And she came up with 
I mean, it was dark music. I, I was shocked when it came on, when she was like, we, we were getting ready for a competition and she brought this music. And actually I said it, another, per, another trainer said it and three judges said it. And so yeah. finally she changed it, but. So it's a problem that. that we yeah. have as freestyle designers on, and I'm also a writer and a competitor. So I know, I know where that's coming from. And I will say that my most difficult clients are actually my junior riders who have never done a freestyle before. And they have all these grand ideas of what they want. And I respect that because I want you to come with your opinion. However, you also have to, if you're going to hire a professional, you've got to listen to what their opinion is. And there's there's going to be a place of compromise. It should never, ever be that the, the, the freestyle composer or editor of the music says, this is your writing music. It shouldn't be like that. You do have to love your music. But if the person that you're getting help from says, wow, I kind of see her as a ballerina, and this kind of sounds like heavy bass background punk, You've got to be open to listening to people who have had the experience of what what works and what doesn't. And I've had that more often than not with people who have never done a freestyle. So I think if you're going to do your own freestyle, have at it and you'll learn. But if you're going to pay somebody to do your freestyle, you really have to take into their experience of what what may draw the best out of your horse, even if it's not really your favorite kind of music. Yeah. No, I think that that's actually really important to remember, especially, you know, again, there is a reason why you hire a freestyle choreographer. I always have. I mean, I, I there is no possible way that I, I have the talent to, to do it um, myself. But that is true. You know, you need to take into an account what they see. And I will say uh, of all the freestyles I've done, only one did I come in knowing what music I wanted and, and really, really pretty determined. My, my current freestyle, my inter- in my international Grand Prix is to remember the Titans. And I have always loved that music. And I have always wanted to have a horse to do that music. So when I had, when I um, started competing bingo, I thought, Oh, it's my time. I've, always loved it, but that, and and it still had to work and we still, (laughs) so that was really, you know, we still had to work. And, and that's what my choreographer said, like, Oh, let me see, let's see if it works. And it it does work. And, and it's, I I love it. And I love riding to it. I've always loved that music. Um, but all other, however many I've done in my career, I've never, ever come in. I've always said, Oh, I really like this music and it's never worked. So, and then, you know, coming up with different music has been so fun. So go in open is what I'm saying. Like I did go in with that one. Like I really want this music and it worked. You had that that in your stash though. And Mm -hmm. and that's a great thing to do. And I have my own personal stash of this. This is a, this day, uh, one day I want to ride to this music. I don't have the right horse. And you put it, you put it in your back file in your computer and you, you know, future freestyle music, because that's so important that you don't use it at the wrong moment, but you should always be on the listen and on the listen lookout 
for stuff that you love and put it away. If it's not the right moment or the right time, it will be one day. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's so fun and and exactly why you want to go ahead and, 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 you know, again, have a stash, have a team that helps you have people that are really good, you know, know what they're doing. I think that's super important. And, um, you know, I love it. So Ruth, we can't thank you enough for coming on and starting this discussion. We'll love to have you back on, or if people have specific questions, let us know. And we can have Ruth back on about those because it is a journey with freestyles. They're so much fun. Uh, they are a lot of work, <laughs> um, but we're so thankful that you were on. And if our listeners have any questions, how can they find you? Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. And I think that this could be a longer discussion. There's so much more I could have to say about it. Um, They can find me on Facebook, Ruth Hogan Polson, Polson Dressage LLC, and then my website, which has a lot of information and some examples of freestyles and other freestyle type things like the quadrille that I do. And that's Ruth Hogan Polson. P-O-U-L-S-E-N dot com. And there's a tab at the top that says Freestyle. Uh, thank you so much, Ruth. We're so excited to continue this discussion with you in the future. Thank you. We're the Healthy Critters Crew. I'm Tigger. I'm Patty. And I'm Coach Jen. If you're a horse lover, dog lover, cat lover, llama lover, chicken lover, parrot lover, paw and hooves and feathers lover, Healthy Critters is for you. We have fascinating guests, nutrition tips, information on various critters, and the only talking Pomeranian dog on the radio. Hello, everyone. Join us for our bi-monthly laughter-filled romps on HRN. Brought to you by Biostar US. No trainer has time for endless phone calls and text messages informing owners of training progress and updating their teams on care plans. That's where the concept of Horse Report System originated, a centralized system that can help busy trainers easily communicate with their team and with each horse's owner about training and health needs. From there, the vision expanded to organizing demographic data needed for competitions like microchip info, breed society, and sport association numbers, as well as storage for photos and important documents. Based on input from professionals at the elite level of equine sports, the system grew to include everything a busy professional needs to keep their horses in top form and their owners engaged with the horse's progress. Today, Horse Report System is continuously evolving to provide equestrians of every level and discipline with the most convenient and user-friendly way to provide optimal care for the horses and easy communication with their team. Well, tonight for our first show of 2022, we are so excited to have Coach Tony Sandoval back on the line. Tony, welcome back. Hey, Happy New Year. Glad to be back. Happy New Year. It's it's a new year. And I think we were chatting off air. You know, this is the time that everyone is starting to make fitness goals. And uh, I kind of laugh because you and I have been working on this uh, together. And um, I think as you start to get the idea, you're going to get fit. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a daunting challenge. And I think sometimes people think I'm going to start the year off and I am, you just, people make these crazy, crazy goals. Like, for example, I am never going to run. So for me to say, 
I'm going to run for seven, you know, every day for seven days a week. That's crazy. I'm not going to do it. So we wanted to start our discussion with you about sort of how do you, how do you start with some obtainable goals for your fitness in the new year? Right. So I think a great way to look at this is everyone for the most part, especially in the horse industry, in the equine industry, they understand how to progress or how to, ha- how to have obtainable goals when it comes to their horse. So if you had a horse that was on vacation and then they were about to start to work, everyone would make a good plan that was progressive, had very uh, specific goals for the day, for the week, could track a training load and do all the cool things for the horse. But when it comes to themselves, they go from zero to 100, which sets them up to failure, but they never get the connection. It's almost like you know what to do have to apply it to yourself, right? That's so true. Actually, that's a great way to say it. Like we know the horse's diet. We know every mm-hmm. supplement. We know, measure the amount of hay they get. Like it's crazy, yeah. but you're absolutely right. Like we, we don't do that. And to think, you know, a lot of horses will have had vacation uh, during the holidays. That's normal time. Horses mm-hmm. have some time off. So, yeah. you know, that, that's a great way to say it as you start kind of thinking about some fitness goals. And also we we've mm-hmm. talked about smart goals, right? Like make yeah. them, make them smart, right? Make them specific, measurable, obtainable, relevant, and time-based. That's the smart analogy, right? Right. And, and I think when you use those uh, in the real world, it's, it's, it sometimes can be difficult because uh, everyone, especially when it comes to fitness is this all or nothing mentality where that means if you don't do all the exercises that are in the world now, then you are not going to get your, to your goal, which is far from the truth. Uh, and I'm very responsible for that as well, where uh, I used to think that if I didn't do everything on my workout for the day, then why even do the workout? And then I would skip because I'd rather do all of it or nothing, literally. So we have to get in this mindset when we start setting specific goals is to understand where we are at currently. Because if you understand where you're at, uh, and it might be like ground zero, great. Well, then we understand now that we have to set very specific goals for, for the day, for the week. Meaning today I'm going to probably start my day off with something that I know I'm going to be successful with. Because when you find success, then you release this neurotransmitter called dopamine. And dopamine is the pleasure neurotransmitter, meaning it's going to lock in to create good habits. So if you say, I'm going to go today, it's going to start off with a walk for 10 minutes. And so, and you might think in the, in the back of your head, oh, but I used to jog for five miles. Yes. But when you're starting off, starting off small is very important. So this 10 minute walk is just like a little flash of dopamine in your brain to go tomorrow, I can do something else. And then the next day, and by the end of the week, you've accumulated enough work that your body can A, recover from, B, create enough of an adaptation to see change, and then C, feel good, feel good about what you just did for the week. Yeah, no, I love it. That's such a I was, cool I was thing. just going to say, you know, um, like like you said, you know, you're kind of an all or nothing person. And of course, uh, you know, us as trainers, we're kind of kind of the same way. And you got to think about it, you know, returning towards the back to how we train the horses. It's it's kind of like mm-hmm. 
you know, you go out and if you and you and your plan is to do, you know, wherever you are in training with the horse, but I'm going to just, you know, take a Grand Prix horse and 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 say, you know, today I'm going to ride 15 ones. But it doesn't always go that way, right? You know, right. You know, stuff happens and we have to be mm-hmm. we have to be able to change the plan. And so, you know, in in my own workouts and stuff, it's like we can get really defeated if we miss a day, you know, for whatever reason, we get really busy or we don't feel good that day and whatever. And then we're like, well, why did I even start doing this? You know, I think early on in, in the fitness programs, uh, in January, you can, you can see that everybody joins the gym, you know, and then, and then you miss, you miss one day and you feel terrible. And and then the next week you miss two days and you feel even worse. And then, and then by, by February or March, you're not going at all. But I, I just, you know, I, I want to tell people that any day is a good day just just to do what you can. Right. Yeah. And I always try to be positive. I always try to uh, it, give people information that is going to be helpful. But sometimes it is helpful to understand what the statistics say and the statistics as far as having people that are compliant. Week three is when the drop off begins. Week three. So when I work with people, I try to make sure that by week, the end of week two, we can start going over what we have done up to that point because I'm trying to fuel the brain with this dopamine. That way, when week three hits and they start losing interest or they feel at that point that they're too far gone to even start this journey again, that I am supportive and I'm keeping them focused on the next day, not anything other than what happened in the past how they felt. Because, I mean, to be honest, if if you really like fitness, it's very rare that you think of these things to the extent where it's not like another challenge. But for a lot of people, like my wife makes me aware of this uh, when I work with with people uh, that, you know, sometimes it is overwhelming and it, it does suck when you used to be in this shape and then you come back and then you're trying to start all over. Not a lot of people have that mindset like you, she'll tell me. And I'll be like, you know what, that's a good insight because I would have I, I, I have to stop and think, what is the other person coming? Where are they coming from? What's their experience? Do they even like fitness or, or working on their fitness? Or is it a means to an end? And in that case, I always try to tell people, it's okay for you to feel a certain way. Let's just have a smart goal, something that you can measure. But And the measurement would be, can you do something for five minutes and then 10 minutes and then grow as you get going? That way you don't feel bad about I didn't work out for an hour. I picked the Peloton that everybody likes to do and I couldn't do it. So that means I'm probably going to quit. So it's always good to start somewhere small and then work your way up. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Cause you know, we can, we can think about that. Cause that's how I am with riding, right? Like I don't miss it. Like if I'm, it's a very scheduled day. If I were to miss a day for riding it, it, like I can't handle it. It just doesn't happen. Right. It's like, so that's the, that's, you can see the mentality when it comes to fitness, because you know, that's just Mm -hmm. in my brain, like I can't handle that. Well, fitness, you know, it's not necessarily something I like to do. So now I found some things that I enjoy. I enjoy working with you. I enjoy, you know, I, I like yoga. There's things that I like, that you got I'm a fitness buddy? You, are you ba- are you back and with your fitness buddy? I'm back with my fitness buddy. Yes. So in Florida, mm-hmm. it's easy here for me because we have really good walking areas, and um, 
and I also have a puppy. So, uh, it's like two for, if we, if I don't go, the puppy's crazy. So, you know, there's like another added incentive. Right. And then I have a workout buddy, uh, and we enjoy getting together and going for our stroll. It's, it's a lot of fun. So it makes it fun. So I think you really have to work on, you know, setting yourself up for success. And, um, I, I will share with everybody too. I can't remember if we talked about it last time, Tony, but, um, I've known about Tony forever. Uh, we have a lot of mutual clients and I've had people, you have to talk to Tony. You really should work with him. He's great. And, and even being a, you know, I'm a professional athlete, right? But I was nervous to work with Tony. I was really scared. I thought, oh my God, you know, he's, I'm not very fit and I'm not very good, you know, and I'm not very coordinated. I have all these injuries and I have all these issues. And it took me a long time to call him and, and get started on our program and I will tell people, if you find the right person to work with, it, it, and it you, you, Tony, you kind of made, not made fun of me, but you were like, why did you wait to call me for fitness? That's what I do. And I have people that do that for lessons too, right? They're like, oh, I, I you know, I needed to do this to call you. And I thought, why, why didn't you call me? That's what I do. So I am going to encourage people, like if you are on the fence about calling or getting a trainer, it has to be the right trainer. I've worked with the wrong trainers before. It didn't work. Um, but don't do what I did, right? Tony is wait to call because you you were like, why did you wait so long? <laughs> so I, I do yeah. want to encourage people to do that. Yeah, the biggest, I, and you're not the only one. Uh, I get a lot of people that they will say, I felt like I needed to get in shape before I actually called you to work with you. And I went, what? Isn't that my job to, to <laughs> ask you with that? <laughs> well, yes. Why, why would you do that? So, yeah. I, and, you know, I heard on, um, on a video this week of uh, something really clever that this other trainer uses, which I thought was brilliant. And he says that, you know, you got to think about fitness as not something that is very short term. You got to think about it and be very particular on picking your mate, picking your partner, because it is almost like a marriage. Like, why would you're picky about all these other things, but then you'll jump at the first little, you know, fad fitness program that you see on Instagram. And they shouldn't be like that. You should do a little bit of research. You should see if it's a good fit, because if you do find the perfect partner, sustainability is a lot easier. But if you hate doing the Peloton, but everybody's doing it, then that is not the right marriage for you. Because yes, it'll might, you may do it for three months, but after that, the Peloton is going to be another closet. It's going to hold your clothes because you never really loved it. So the, the most important part is to find an activity that you love and that you can see you doing this long-term for life, because that is going to really help you not only stay consistent, but not depend on motivation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Well, Tony, that's a great transition. You have a great couple of exercises for us, right? Right. Sure do. All so, right. I love it. I'm excited because I'm going to do yeah. this tomorrow. <laughs> yes. So on my Instagram account, I, I put up today um, a couple of exercises that really focus. Uh, and now I know for, for layman's turn, I put low back, but what it, what it really targets is your ability for you to hinge at the hip, which starts to incorporate the right musculatures of your hip and strengthen the muscles that help stabilize your low back. 
because what happens is part of part of it, there's a lot of reasons why your back would hurt. But the main reason is besides having some type of incident where you fell off a horse or you have, you know, a car accident. Most of the time when I find people that have back pain, it's all about their lack of mobility and strength in their hips and stability in their low back. So if, if you have issues with those, you will use your low back to try to help mobilize your trunk or torso. So think about it like this. If the job of the back of the low back, those erectors is to make sure that everything is so stable so that you have proper core engagement, you're breathing properly, and that's its only job, but your hips are not working or your thoracic spine, that's your mid back. We call that the T spine. If those are locked up, the back will take over their duty. And now it's going to start being a mobilizer instead of doing its job, which is a stabilizer. And if you do that, your back will hate you and it will tell you, it will scream at you how much it hates this new job. So this exercise that I put up on Instagram, is called the good morning. And I modified it for riders and I made it into a seated good morning, which you use, you'll see the cables that you can use if you're at a gym or using two resistance bands if you're at home or at the barn and you can have some room to do these exercises. It, it helps understand how to use your hips properly. And when you're leaning forward and then bringing yourself back up, it teaches the back how to stabilize. So if you have these big horses that are pulling you and your natural reaction is to either hollow out and throw your shoulders back or not have any control whatsoever, this exercise is going to give you that stability in your back. It's going to strengthen your ability to be able to handle forces either pulling you forward or left side to side. So I really like this exercise for, for riders. Once you graduate from this seated position that you'll see in the video, then I have people actually stand up, have their feet a little wider. That way you can kind of simulate the type of stability that you'll need when you're on a horse and you do the same movement. You hinge your fold forward and then you squeeze your glutes and start moving your upper body back while keeping your back stable. It's, it's awesome. I think, like I was telling you earlier today, uh, Jane, we did it today, and she really felt where she was weak at, which was yeah. helping her understand why she gets this back pain when she rides. Yeah. Well, I think every rider has back pain. Like, and let, I mean, I know if I do. Phil, I think you do. I think it's sure. a, a really common thing. <laughs> For riders, well, I actually, you know, I I used to when I was uh, when I was younger, but I, you know, I had a coach really help me learn how to sit against the horses without, yeah, um, it's without rowing, right? So you know, riders want to do this uh, this rowing motion instead of really using everything together, hip, lower back, mid back. That 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 helped me a lot, and uh, and currently I, I don't have a whole lot of horses that pull. So uh, I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> that's critical too. Yeah, that's that critical. is critical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I train them not to pull. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I know. I love it. I love it, Tony. So Tony, tell us where can we find on your Instagram? Because as we know, I'm not very technical. How can we find it on Instagram? And how do we find more information about you? So if you go to Instagram and you search for me, Coach Sando training, all one word. You should be able to find me. You'll see my logo. It's CST on there. And when you 
follow that page, you'll see the post that is on there. And the title is, if you have low back pain, try these exercises. And then you can just scroll. So the video won't be on the first page. You have to scroll a little bit to find them. And you'll see the progressions there. And feel free to leave me any messages if you have any questions about setup or anything that you might think when you're watching this video that you just need a little bit more guidance on, I'd be happy to help. And people can uh, find out more about me by going either to Facebook or my website, which is coachsandotraining.com. Fantastic, Tony. Well, we look forward to checking out the exercise and our tip for next month as well. Cool. Well, Phil, it's that time of the year that everybody should really check their tack. It's after the holidays. Um, so Total Saddle Fit has such great products, but also it's a great time to check your stirrup leathers and a great time to replace them if you need to before you get going, right? This is the time for those stability stirrup leathers. Maybe you put them on your list and Santa didn't bring them to you. Um, that's no problem. You can just go online at totalsaddlefit.com and order them yourself. Exactly. Well, we have a great tip. This is going to be a long one from Geraldine Gibson. It was such a great discussion that we just let it, let it go. So we hope you enjoy this one. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. Well, for this week's Total Saddle Fit Tip of the Week, we have Gerilyn Gibson, FEI rider, trainer, and small R judge on the line. Gerilyn, welcome back to the show. Hi, Reese. Hi, Phil. Well, happy new me. year. Oh, we're so happy and happy new year. Thank you. You too. We we wanted to start the year off right with a top 10 judges tip. We talked about it today and, and I said, can you make a list of top 10 tips that you have for listeners as a judge? So I'm going to let you get started. Well, thanks. I was like flattered that you asked me to do this because as you know, I'm only a sad small R. Um, so I just judge training level, first level and second level. Um, no, 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 be- no, no. You, you, you don't just judge those. Yes. You, you are good at judging those. And those are the hardest levels to, to judge and have nice things to say. And <laughs> you know, so you're in the hard. trenches, you, right? Phil. You're in That's the trenches. Well, actually, I, I'm in the trenches and I really do. I actually really do like it. It's really fun. Um, it's not also, it also doesn't make you have like a, a stroke when it gets really complicated, which is nice. So I like that. <laughs> I think little, it gets really complicated. <laughs> I think it's very scary to to think about judging training at first. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. So we're so well, actually, you, know what, you know what, you know, what's funny about it actually, when you say complicated, it, what's really interesting and they don't, well, I guess they probably do tell you this when they're training you, but, but it's, um, judging is really not hard if the riding is at least okay. And it's when it, the riding is bad and things are going wrong, that's when it's really, really tricky <laughs> because you need to, you need to be able to give the feedback and try to say it positively or, you know, or, or, or whatever, but, and it goes really fast and it gets really crazy. <laughs> so yes. that so it's, it's kind of, that's sort of, that's sort of the exciting part about judging is that if it's a good ride, your scribe is happy. You're like a genius. You make sense. Your comments, <laughs> everything's working. And then somebody goes off course. 
horse goes backwards, one foot out of the ring, there's use of voice. I mean, when things start to go into the tank, it gets crazy in the judge's box, I have to say. <laughs> it's pretty hard. I, I can't handle the stress. I can't handle it. So, yeah. so tell us, get us started on your top 10. I love it. Okay. So here's my, here's my, here's my list. One, two, three, four, five, six, a little bit more than 10. So you can tell me the stuff if you want. Um, (laughs) um, So I I kind of have two groups of tips, observations, and one of them is sort of like the novice group. So the, 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 the amateur rider that you're, you're pretty sure it's not their first tour show, but it might not be their second. Um, you know, it's their first time in the ring and the kind of typical common mistakes and issues that people have that can be avoided with prep. Like you don't need talent, but you just need a little bit better prep and education. So first off, one little piece of advice around, around tack and equipment, which I see a lot, especially in the smaller, smaller shows, um, you know, less you know, I don't, I don't see it as much in Wellington or what have you, but there's this, there's a common problem where people will set their nose band, not their flash, but their nose band, their cavison, too low and it, and with a, with a snaffle and, and then, and what happens if it's just standing there and you're looking at it, you don't see a point of tension, but when the rider starts using the rein, so the bit comes back a little bit, it creates a real pinch point between the lips and the cavison edge and I see horses like really cranky or flipping their head or like horses that are really struggling and then you look and you realize well gosh every time the rider uses the rein it's actually creating this outside problem has nothing to do with the rider's talent or the horse's obedience but it's getting pinched in the cheek (laughs) yeah Um, so I see that I see that a lot and it's really an interesting thing so hopefully people out there will just check their nose bands and make sure there's enough space between the bit and the nose band itself that you don't create a pinch when you use the bit. It's not enough that it's okay when you're not using it. It has to, if you pull on it a little bit, like you would when you're riding, it has to not pinch. All right. So that's for everybody. Um, and then let's see, uh, beginner comment, sitting trot in the first level. Don't do it. If it makes <laughs> your horses trot too, if it, it makes your horses trot small or diminishes the quality of it. That's a big one. It doesn't matter to me. If you know how to sit the trot in first level, all I want to know is that your horse can move big and freely and happily, all of that. I don't sit there and go, well, if you could sit the trot, then I know you were able to do second level. That's not the thinking of the judge, and it's not going to get you higher scores. That is a really, that's that's like a debate. Yeah. That's a great one because, again, that's a, some people ask me, well, should I sit the trot? I'm like, no, no, please don't. (laughs) It's not a requirement. and along those lines, even for professionals, like if you're sitting a trot on a horse because it makes them more secure, but the, and the trot is still okay, that's fine. But if something goes wrong, just post. I don't care if you go in and out of sitting trot either. You know what I mean? Like use that to your advantage. You don't have to sit. And I love that because yeah, that, that, that is a question too, right? Can I go in and out of posting and sitting? So I yeah. love that. It's not my job. It's not my job to care about that. So that's good. <laughs> don't worry about that. I love it. Level. Love it. Okay, so still talking a little bit about sitting trot. When you are in second level and you're required to sit the trot, I think it's really common that riders on the novice side are pushing themselves to show second level when their seat just may not be ready for it. If your seat isn't developed, 
enough fluidity to be able to have your horse trot just as well when you're sitting as when you're posting, then maybe you should reconsider if you're ready to dive into a licensed show at second level, because it's going to be really hard for us to keep your scores where they otherwise could be. It has nothing to do with your horse or your quality or whatever. If this trot is really diminished because the rider sits too tight and is like finding balance in the reins, then it's, it's just, it's going to hold you back at second level. It's going to get commented on. And you, you still see a lot of that. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it just has to not really change the quality of the trot too much when you sit. I love it. That. That's a great one. Yep. Great one. Okay. Um, another one for particularly, again, more novice amateurs, what have you, um, the rider has a tendency to fall to the outside. So they counterbalance, they bend the horse in and they fall out. That's really common. Um, and it's not always, I feel like when I see it, it's really extreme, which means nobody's been talking about it. <laughs> it's been happening for a while and they need some, they need a trainer or a friend to talk to them about it. So double check where you're sitting when you're, or when you're rising or in the can or whatever, you shouldn't be standing on your outside stirrup. You should always be even or a little bit on the inside stirrup, but you should not be standing on your outside stirrup. And then also then making the horse have a much harder job of balancing through all of the exercises. Well, Geraldine, um, real quick on that one. You know, yeah, I think yeah. you can set up a video camera in your barn or in your arena. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, my nephew's a pretty good videoer. I'm just like, sit video. Like he's good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, <laughs> you know, my niece is getting better too. She's getting older, but my nephew's really good at it. And I pay him $5 right. and he's just like really good at that. Wow. So, um, but you can, there's a lot of ways to look at that and to fix that, right? You don't have to yes. just sort of be held captive to have, I don't have mirrors or I can't see it. Like, or, or even just set your phone on your, on the edge of the arena or something on a tripod, sure. whatever. Yes. There are ways to look at that and check your seat. Um, right. You know, ideally. I mean, and nobody's, nobody's perfectly straight, right? Yes. But exactly. the de- the degree of it is what is important. So you have to keep it within manageable parameters. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if, you're if you're bringing always, it to, if you're bringing it to our attention as something that you see a lot, then yeah, I, I guess it's uh, you know, you would call that a common problem and to, uh, to figure out a way to, to check on it before you go yeah. to a show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. just, I mean, it's one of the, what I do when I'm riding is I, I'll often just spot check myself, whether I'm rising trot or whatever sitting doesn't matter. I'll just, I'll ask myself, I'll feel, I want to say is feel my, I feel my feet and which of my foot is holding me up more really interesting. And depending on the horse I'm riding, I very often might be balancing on my outside foot and I don't think about it until I tell myself to go looking for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so next, next one, um, inadvertent counterflexion. Um, I see this a lot, especially in the first part of a test, because they come towards you and they have to, you know, they're trying to make this what feels to them like a tight turn, training level or first level or second level. And and they know they're supposed to go in the corner, but then they lose the proper inside flexion just at the pole in the ears because they're like hanging on the outside rein, trying to stay in the corner. So the horse pops the shoulder in, keeps its face out, and then I have to take away points because they've lost at least the correct alignment, right? So yeah, yeah I think being I think aware that's, yeah. of counterflexion is important. Yeah, yeah I mean, you can't, uh, 
you can't steer into a corner with the outside rain. I mean, again, this is really super common problems, right? They want to, you know, you want to ride for a straight as long as possible, but the horse knows that there's a corner coming. So then they start to fall in against the inside leg. And now you've got, you know, so you've either got too much outside rain contact or not enough inside leg, you know, that's, but, yeah. but like you said, it's an alignment problem, you know, and it, you know, it's not that it's not that common in, I don't think it's that common in a lot of trainers barns at a, at a certain level because you see it and you talk to them about it and you fix it and it's gone. But yeah. what, but I get to yeah. see lots and lots of amateur riders at a lower level, particularly like training level, you tend to see it, it may, it may also come from a lack of opportunity to ride in a proper dressage arena. Yeah. You know, people get nervous and they get in that, that, um, you know, white white rectangle and then all yep. of a sudden they're like oh i gotta go deep in my corners because that's what that's what my coach said and mm-hmm. uh, you know right. I, th- I think it's right. better to make a big corner and and keep the horses yeah. balanced than than to really yeah. try and ride a grand prix corner at, you know in a yeah. first level test and it just it's not going to work so yeah again well, and, well, and that is the tightest practice. turn right i mean that's yeah. the 10 meter radius turn that is the that is the tightest turn you will make in the training and first level test so, and if you're got, an amateur and you have a horse that's maybe not done it so much, the chances are your biggest moment of stress is going to be your first turn because they're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I have to go straight towards that box <laughs> with that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And turn. Already kind of bulging out. Right. So, yeah. that, that's a really tricky thing. It just should be practiced so that people know what they're going to hit with when they come through it. You know, it's just, it's not enough to do nice 10 meter turns in an open space at home. You have to yes. just put a little pressure on yourself. To make, in an arena doesn't have to be fancy either. I, I always stress yeah. that to people. I'm like, it can be, you know, a trash cans and, 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 you know, there's a lot of ways to do it. It doesn't have to be expensive, but you do need to go out in your field and, and literally walk out, make a, 20 corner. By, yeah. make a corner, you're 20 by 60 or 20 by 40. Um, it happens. And especially I see it a lot with my eventers too, because that they're in a 20 by 40 meter ring. And it's so right. Small. Oh my gosh, stuff comes up so quick. Uh-huh. Yeah. It comes really quick. And they're used to riding in big jumping rings. And then they're like, oh my gosh, it's my horse gets so nervous in here. And I'm like, yeah, well, how often do you ride in that space? So I think that's <laughs> right. really important exactly. to, to remember that. Exactly. So sorry, I had to throw that out there too. No, I tell you, you're absolutely right. I think that's a big part of it. And in general, in the lower levels or in the amateur classes, a tendency to again inadvertently ride the trot too small so that it's not tracking up. And I see this at all the levels, um, you know, because like in training level, you can get away with a lot, right? The horse doesn't have to be perfectly round. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't have a lot of stress in the exercises. Um, but if you, if you're showing me a blah trot, a steady trot, a happy trot, but maybe not a big trot, and you're not on the bit. And then I look and I see that the hind legs are not even touching the footprint of the front leg. Then I'm like, okay, everybody, we can't go this slow. Like it, it's got to be more. Yeah. Have to have more impulsion. Have to have more impulsion. And and I think again, you like you were saying about videos, it can be really helpful. Like this is my everyday trot. What does it look like? Does it really track up? Because that's sort of one of those key indicators. You know, it may not be fancy. I don't really care if it's fancy as long as it's regular, and it's and it and it tracks up and has an intention of going forward. You know, you don't have to have a fancy horse, but it shouldn't yeah. have. You know, sometimes I'll see horses that have like a six inch variance between where the front foot footprint is and where the hind foot reaches to. It's really, 
it's really dramatic. And I feel really bad because the writer's really diligent. A lot of the time they're like really trying hard, but they've just kind of kept everything really too small. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. So that's that. And then the other category are sort of like issues that happen to everybody, even if not especially the advanced writers. Okay. So this is a larger one and I can just, I'm just going to say it and put it out there, but the rider is misinterpreting discomfort in their horse for misbehavior from their horse. Ah, so yes. big. That's a pretty yes. big one. That's a big one. Um, but I think it's worth putting out there and it can show up in lots of different ways. I mean, I think my example in the beginning of a nose band accidentally set too low. Mm-hmm. You know, the rider comes out and they think, oh, my horse just won't go on the bit. It's quote unquote, not submissive. You know, I can't keep its head down. Why? Is, you know, and it, yet it's not, it has no intention to disappoint you. It is just a circumstance that you're not understanding that's happening to the horse. Right. So right. I think that happens all throughout the levels. Um, so misinterpreting discomfort from misbehavior. That's a question. That's a problem. Well, and I think just, just as a quick one, I think it's really important to, to if you do feel like your horse or whenever I have a horse, that starts some misbehavior. There are times mm-hmm. that that's when I call the vet, right? Because I'm not <laughs> yeah, exactly. sure if, if the horse is being naughty or, or the horse is uncomfortable. So I have a great mm-hmm. relationship with my vet and I tell her what's going on. And I say, Hey, mm-hmm. you know, this just came up, you know, this horse is, ha- is struggling with the canter. Um, mm-hmm. not really sure if it's uncomfortable, not really sure if there's something wrong, what is your thought? And her thought then mm-hmm. is said, you know, Hey, let's flex the horse and find out. And then once she's mm-hmm. gone over that horse and we've done whatever, or maybe nothing or whatever it may be, then it, then it allows me to know that my training is fair and appropriate. So I think that's right. really just important. A general concept is like, if your horse is misbehaving, it is okay to call your vet and find out if that's discomfort. But if your vet says, Hey, all clear, ready to go, then then that's a training issue. And you may not want to be at the horse show at that point. Or, or a, ta- a, ta- a type <laughs> bit issue. Or, yeah. I mean, or attack issue. Yeah. I mean, things happen, right? Yeah. Like, you know, things happen. Something yep. happens at the horse show or they get a bite or, I mean, stuff happens, right? But if it's a general sure. misbehavior, um, now, sometimes you're going to a horse show and it's a schooling show, right? I mean, we all go to schooling right. shows. We, we have one down the street right. next week. You know, it's a schooling show. That is a, right. that's not recognized and there'll be some misbehavior, I'm sure for the first show of the year. Right. Um, and that's okay in that environment. Uh, and obviously yep. things happen at the recognized shows, but if, if it's really a misbehavior issue, you may not want to take that to a recognized competition just, just to put right. it And also, I mean, and I think you just, I think in order to manage that topic, this, you know, discomfort versus misbehavior, you know, as a trainer, or rider, you just, you have to have that constantly as an open question. Yes. You have to always think about what's happening and think it could be this, it could be that. Let's try to rule them out. Let's see what it is. So anyway, that, yeah. that happens a lot. If you have center line and sometimes it's where center line where the things come to an he- a head, you know? Um, yes. So, and they don't realize it until after they've left the ring that like, okay, this really, whatever is worse than yeah, I thought. Sure. Um, so another, another one, a little less, uh, kind of controversial, but a little less esoteric is um the comment i make all the time btv behind the vertical so you see it at all the levels like and you see it from the amateurs and you see it from the open riders Uh, i feel a little bit unhappy when i have to make that comment 
because behind the vertical is a is a is a known videotapable fact, but the score that happens when you have a comet of BTV can be very, very variable, very, very variable, because sometimes it's on a really big, fancy eight or nine moving horse with a professional rider, and it's behind the vertical, or sometimes it's on a a small stuck back, you know, school pony that's been brought to this horse show, you know, and not prepped or whatever, a different circumstance. And, and it's still behind the vertical, but it's going to get a lower score because all the other aspects of the movement and the ride in that movement are so much higher on the fancy horse that it's less offensive, but it can be like a deal breaker on the small horse, right? Because it was already at a six and then I have to take a point off because it's behind the vertical. If it was already at an eight and I take a point off, it's still at a seven. The horse still wins at a 70%, but it was behind the vertical. And I took a point off every time I saw it, but it's still winning the class. And I think that's a real problem for how the scores get perceived by the people watching the ride. So go, you guys go. (laughs) That's, that's a, that's a, a very good, interesting point. That is very difficult to come to terms with. Or understand as as a spectator, you know, as as a rider, you know, I've shown a lot of horses, and and sometimes they just get behind your leg and get behind the vertical, and they say, oh, you know, crap, that that was a crap test, and you know, whatever, and move on. But I I, I hadn't considered what that what the implications would be for that on you know as far as you know the rest of my competitors, like they saw my ride, and oh, you know, the horse was not good, and it's hard, but right? It Jud- judging good. is yeah. hard. It's, until yeah. you're in the yeah, exactly. Until you're in the judges box, when you realize, look, I'm giving you an eight, except for I'm giving you a seven because you know it dropped its neck and got behind you in that moment, and I'm counting on it. But the class is still won by the person that had that problem. It's basic math, and I think until everybody has a little bit more understanding of of how the judges have to apply the training scale to the and their and their their um, methodology of of judging. It, it's a little hard to understand why some of it works works out the way it does. Anyway, yeah, but, but because behind I think the vertical, in, you know, I, I say in, it a in lot. A daily tra- in a daily training sense, that's it's it's a huge no no. Yes, you know what mm-hmm. I mean. It's a like mm-hmm. I would fit. You know, I would be able to fix it right away, or 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 at least you know do something to something about it, right? But uh, in, yep. in the test, sometimes a horse gets, like I said, behind your lagging, behind the vertical, mm-hmm. and there's nothing you can do in that moment other than just ride the pattern, you know, <laughs> no. just ride the pattern, right? Right, yeah. When I come out with a test, that's what I, you know, I say to myself, well, that was disaster, right? But then the score doesn't necessarily reflect the, you know, the the disaster that I f- felt had, had happened, but... Uh, or yeah. maybe I mean, when you're does. able to get through it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, or, it does. or it does, but you know, able to get through, yeah, yeah. I think that that can get through the, the test, even though it's behind the vertical, and you still execute it, and the horse still has sort of big gates and all that stuff. You know, it's 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 not going to feel great to a professional rider like yourself, still, because you're like, and I couldn't have fixed it if I wanted to, you know, it, and it yeah. won't be as high as you expected. But when you're on a horse that maybe is already is already a little bit struggling in terms of its scope, um, in its gait and its elasticity or whatever. And then the rider, you know, I think this is probably the worst example of it. And it's not because it's 
such a horrible error on their part. It's like a misunderstanding, you know, the ambitious rider that is thinking they have on the bit when really they have restricted. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking back to because uh, we're currently reading Robert Dover's book and uh, in, in, in a paragraph or a few p- pages, he says to be aware of what you are projecting to the judges. So mm-hmm. it can be just uh, just a, an, you know, uh, unawareness of the the picture that they you know the picture that they've got in their mind is not the picture they're projecting to the audience. Yeah. And yeah. so you have to yeah. work on making sure that those two things are the same. Cuz right. I for sure yep. like early on in my riding I'm like oh that was a great test and da 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 and then and then uh you know I get a you know 55 or, or whatever you know a bad score and I'm like oh how did that and then, and then you know we have the benefit of having easy easy ways to make videos. And that's really mm-hmm. helped. That's really helped my riding and, and helped, you know, making sure that my, my perception is accurate. I guess that's what yeah, I want to say. 100%. So that's just a good point is, you know, a lot of times you'll come out and be like, well, I don't understand that score. And people get really huffy. And then you're like, well, mm-hmm. let's see this test sheet. Right. So you see mm-hmm. that behind the vertical and you can say, okay, you know, that horse fell behind the vertical. You lost at least a point there. And that's what's important about the judges to read your judges comments. Don't just get mad. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes read it and and then you, and then you like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, it it was good, except the horse was behind the vertical. So I was, went from an eight to a seven or seven to a six or whatever. Um, So I think that's important to remember. Yeah. If that happens throughout the whole test, that's 10% off. That's 10%. At least least the the Mm -hmm. judge should probably, uh, nail you for your effectiveness of the aids. Like you're going to get, yeah. you know, you're going to hit it in submission and you're going to hit it in the effect. Yep. Exactly. So exactly. Yep. 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 Yeah. Okay. So it. here's, here's, here's two simple ones, which, but, but again, I see them a lot. Um, and they're second level related, um, is that it, it appears to me and I have judged a lot of second level test three this summer because I'm trying to get, out of small R and into large R. Um, it seems to me almost nobody can do a haunted in with four tracks. Yeah. Um, it's supposed to be four. It's supposed to be four tracks. It used to be three. Um, and I mean, a lot of the time I'd be happy with three. <laughs> I'm not even getting three. <laughs> and yeah. So I, I don't think I, I can't understate it. And it's the pro it's the pros and it's the adult amateurs. And like, I look for it and I'm like, mm, it's not enough angle. Yeah, not enough angles. No, not four tracks. And I can think of seven different ways to tell you it's not four tracks. Um, and and even the pros, you know, it, it happens. So I think that's something people should just practice in front Carolyn. of a mirror, practice in front of a video. Carolyn, yes. it's hard. <laughs> it is hard. Strawberry is hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no but, but I, 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 yeah, I, I, I get, yeah, I, I get your point. I'm just, I'm kind of joking around, but. But no, no, uh, yeah, if you're going to go show, true. yeah, if you're going to go yeah. show, that's something simple, you know, mirrors, videos, whatever, four tracks, yeah. four make track, them more yeah. sensitive four to your track. outside leg, you know? Yeah. Or, or. And so, well, and I'll, I'll give you a hint. Uh, after watching this for so long, I was like, I have to teach this so that it, it works for people. And so this is what I 
what I do, especially when I'm training it at home, is that I let my students, I try to get them to position themselves so that the front feet of the horse, before they start it, are just just to the inside of the track, not on the track. So that as they ask for the hips to go over, the front legs have just a little bit of room to yield out. Because when you're really jammed up against the dressage arena, and again, let's go back to the 50% of people that can't even ride in a regular dressage arena on an everyday basis. Your horse <laughs> gets really, really, they get really claustrophobic about what to do with their shoulders as you're asking them to bring their hips in. And if you start it just a hair off the track, so that as you ask with your outside leg for them to really bend around your inside leg, they can just ever so slightly displace their front feet to the outside. You can achieve it. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, love yeah. it. That's and a then, cheat sheet. Yeah, <laughs> I got a, I got, a, I got a tip for everybody on this because uh, I don't know. It's just the way the tests are written. You're doing a travel off of a turn, so don't mm-hmm. don't send don't send the hind legs don't way out things. and then try to get them back in. Mm-hmm. They yes, should already be right. in a bit, and then they just go in more. Exactly. Follow, follow exactly. the bend. The bend you've established in the turn, in the corner, or, or off of the, off the EB line. So just yep. continue with that. Yep. yep. Exactly. Just keep going. So anyway, um, uh, and another one simple again is understanding the geometry of the horse, the the test, um, the canter serpentines in second level. They they are no there are no diagonal lines in a serpentine. They are three half circles connected so the on center line as you're going across center line on your shipping team your course should be for at least a stride maybe two completely parallel with the short side of the arena and what people do is they they are on still a diagonal line they never really keep the turn completing their first 20 meter half circle um and and that's it's it's a tricky one because that allows you to be more successful at not losing your your lead in the counter canner, of course. So it makes it easier for you to do the exercise. But because you, it's very very easy for the judge to see that you aren't parallel to the short side. So it's a very quick um, point reducer, right? Yeah. Like you got yeah. it, it. But but as a judge, it's also really a pain because it's a long explanation. <laughs> <laughs> also, okay, must yeah. be parallel to the short side when they go across. It's not a diagonal line. <laughs> it's, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a lot to say. Yeah, it so makes if sense. everybody could just learn that, that would be great. That would be, awesome. <laughs> That'd be great. I love it. That'd be great. Okay, so those two were simple, and then um, the last one I think happens so much, and I see it at all the levels, is in the canner, which is that the biomechanics that the the rider doesn't really understand the correct biomechanics through their arms and shoulders and back and feet in the canter and they end up holding back at the moment that the horse is striking down in front in the canter mm-hmm. and so the horse hits the bit and the rider's arm is stiff and they're a little leaning back against it and it and so you get all different variations of this problem so this is a horse that's on the forehand in the canter and you can see it go ba-boom on the reins, ba-boom on the reins, ba-boom on the reins. And and the, the rhythm, the rider's feeling a rhythm in their reins, a heavy, light, heavy, light, heavy, light. And that's just bad timing and biomechanics. You have to be able to push the hand 
a little bit forward as the horse is striking down in front. Because if you restrict them at that moment, they have no choice. The whole darn horse is going onto the front end for that phase of the stride. There's nothing else they can do. And if you're pulling back in advance, they are going to have to defend their neck and they're going to land on you like all heck, or they're going to curl, or they're going to get angry, or they're going to get really short in front. They're going to get crew pie. They're going to get crooked. I mean, there's a hundred different ways that the horse shows that the getting restricted at the wrong moment when the rider's riding the canner with their arms. Yeah. So there's, there's yeah. my thing. I love it. Thank you. Sure, like, me get these... this off my chest. Wow, wonderful way to start 2022. These were amazing judges tips. We, we never get enough judging because it really is important. You know, we talk, we, you know, we talk about training, but at the end of the day, you got to go down the center line and a judge is sitting there to be nice to you, but they're going to have things to say. So these were great. Yeah. Well, Gerald, if people want to find you online or find more information, how do they do that? Um, they can Google finesse dressage and my website is at www.finestressage.net. Um, or they can Google Gerilyn Gibson and they will find me there. And, uh, yeah, that's where I am. Love it. Well, Gerilyn, thank you so much for coming on and we look forward to having you again in the future. It's great to talk to you guys. Thanks a lot. Love what you do. Well, we have to thank everybody for your email and Facebook shout outs. Keep them coming. We love, especially this time of year, we're starting to talk about programming and what we're going to be talking with you guys for the year. So we love to have ideas. So we've gotten some emails from everybody, which we appreciate and really welcome. So feel free to email about anything you want to hear about the show or things that we can do better or questions we can answer for you guys. We would love it. And we always welcome those emails. But just a reminder, we hope you were able to get the book club of the month or or this quarter. We have The Gates to Brilliance from Robert Dover. And it's a great book. I've been reading it. That was one of my resolutions, um, Phil, was to read more and watch less Netflix. Not going to (laughs) lie. So I've been, I've I've taken this book and I've really been enjoying it in the evening and it's, it's a really good read. I hope everyone enjoys it. So the Gates to Brilliance by Robert Dover. And we, uh, if you didn't catch his interview, it was a great interview last month talking about the book. Well, as always, we love bringing new programming and the United States Dressage Federation is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org for more information. That's www.usdf.org, the online destination for dressage. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me best probably through Facebook or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors. That's Kentucky Performance Products, Horse Report System, and Total Saddle Fit. Don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down, your shoulders back, and we wish you a very, very happy new year and excited for a great year in 2022.